It's the 7th of December in the year of our salvation, 2008. It's the second Sunday of Advent and the Feast of St. Ambrose of Milan. And you're back with Father Z and another podcast. Today we're going to examine a liturgical hymn used during Advent. It's sung for the Office of Readings in the newer form of the office, called the Liturgy Orarum, the Liturgy of Hours. Uh, This hymn was in an altered form also in the older Breviarium Romanum for the Office of Matins, which of course is the predecessor of the Office of Readings. Now, of course, the breviarium and the liturgy or arm can both be used today by clerics to fulfill their obligation of reciting the church's official daily prayer, but we'll look at the version, of course, in the liturgy or arm that's most commonly used by people. So, today, let's dig into it and see what we can discover in the great hymn for Advent, Verbum Supernum Prodians. One of the hymns that we use in the church's official prayer during Advent is a liturgical hymn called Verbum Supernum Prodians. But we have to be a little careful because there are actually two hymns with this title. One of them, the one that interests us today, is used during Advent and it focuses naturally on the Nativity of the Lord. The other hymn of this title with uh, different words, has a Eucharistic focus, and it includes the verses that we sing very commonly at Exposition and Benediction of the Blessed Sacrament, a little section called O Salutaris Hostia. And that's used on Corpus Christi. But, you know, there is a very close conceptual relationship between the coming of Christ at Nativity and the Feast of the Incarnation, and the coming of Christ on the altar and transubstantiation. But you see, in both cases, the Word becomes flesh, and the Word made flesh begins to dwell among us. Of course, in a historical way, in the Nativity of Bethlehem, and in a sacramental way upon our altars during Holy Mass. But let's get back to today's hymn for Advent. Now, where does this hymn come from? Well, uh, first of all, you should know that this is one of those hymns which was reworked in the 17th century. In 1632, under the Barberini Pope, Pope Urban VIII, who imposed a more classical style on the hymns for the breviary. Uh, For our hymn, this means that every single strophe was reworked, which gave us rather unhappy results, in my opinion. And this is the version that made its way into the Breviarium Romanum, the older form of the office, freed up by Pope Benedict's Summorum Pontificum. In the Liturgia Orarum, the post-conciliar form of the office, the more ancient version of Verbum Supernum Prodians was restored. But, back to our question, where does it come from? Who originally wrote it? Well, we just don't know. It has been ascribed to St. Ambrose, 
whose feast it is as I speak, but that very likely is not correct. Uh, some people think it goes back to the second half of the 5th century, but I think that's also very doubtful. We know that at least from the 10th century, it was the hymn for matins during Advent, also sometimes used in lauds in some manuscripts. But uh, this hymn uh, is, uh, you know, therefore at least a millennium old in its original form. And, uh, you know, about 400 years old in its revised form. The hymn was also connected to an old feast uh, during Advent called the Expectation of Our Lady that was celebrated on the 18th of December. Of course, that's during the time when the great O antiphons are being sung at Vespers. And uh, this, this Feast of the Expectation of Our Lady is a lesser-known feast today. It was in the old calendar, but uh, Pope Paul VI suppressed the feast for the new calendar. And the Mass and the office of that feast were very close to that of the Annunciation, uh, the, what we celebrate in March. Of course, that's the very moment of the Incarnation, isn't it? But, uh, of course, we're digressing here. Let's get back to our hymn, the Verbum Supernum Proteans. Uh, what we'll do is we'll look at it in Latin, along with, uh, intermixed together with an English translation that yours truly banged up pretty quickly. Uh, my own really fast slavish translation, just very clunky and unlovely, but designed to show you at least what's going on in the Latin. And we'll have some other more poetic versions down the line, too, but we need to hear it just in its bare bones, first of all, and then we can pry it open later on. Now, the Latin hymn is in what we call iambic tetrameter. That means there are four feet of iams. That means the stress is on the last syllable of the two in each foot. And you're going to notice right away that the metric feet and the actual word stress of the syllables don't always match very well. You know, keep in mind when you're dealing with Latin, uh, poetic texts, especially very old texts, that uh, the way of delineating the metric feet was not by word stress, uh, as we do in modern poetry and all the modern languages today. Instead, they used to think about these metric feet in terms of the length of syllables, determined by the length of time it took to pronounce certain syllables because of the quality of the vowels or their proximity to consonant clusters and so forth. So we wind up uh, in our hymns very often with what are called homodyne and heterodyne feet. Well, those are fancy words meaning that, in the one case, the feet uh, and the the word stress and the iambic feet agree, and uh, in the heterodyne feet, uh, the word stress and the the stress of the metric foot differ. So, uh, a rather less than uh, well prepared reader could fall into a trend of sticking merely to the iambic feet and uh, producing kind of an abomination of a of a verse uh, rendering for example if we were to take a look at our verbum supernum proteans you know they might turn it out like verbum supernum proteans of course a verbum you know is not 
right, is it? It's verbum. That's a homodyne foot there. Hmm? And the second verse is even uh, more difficult to to put out. Um, is far more homodyne, rather. Uh, that is, it, it, it matches up better. Apatrelumenexiens. It fits better with it, you see. It's not, it doesn't differ from the metrical foot. So, okay, that's a digression about homodyne and heterodyne verses. That's important, I think, for how we sing the thing. And it gives us maybe a, some clues into how we can interpret it. But let's hear some Latin with, along with my um, kind of stark uh, translation. And uh, I'll give you a little commentary on it also, I think. I'll just work this way in. I'll just digress a little bit. Verbum supernum prodiens, a patre lumen exiens, qui natus orbi subvenis, cursu declivi temporis. O heavenly word going forth, O light going out from the Father, who having been born, come to heal the world in the downward sliding course of time. You know, what's going on in this verse? Okay, well, first of all, we have an echo. I think of the first chapter of John, and of course of the Creed, this light going forth, and so forth, the word going forth. There's a reference to the course of time, the cursus declivus, right? It's a downward decline, a down, like a downward spiral. It's almost like a slope going downward. And this, of course, uh, suggests to us that when the time was right, that is in the fullness of time, the Lord became incarnate and dwelt among us. Uh, I think it's interesting that the word that's used here is subvenio. Subvenio, which is a compound of sub, right, underneath or beneath, with venio to come. And this means anything from, uh, like, come to aid, like to assist or to heal, to cure. That prefix sub. Sub makes us sound like he's swooping down underneath. He's coming down beneath us. And like a divine atlas, he's taking the whole cosmos on his shoulders. He's coming underneath to hold us up, to hold us back from this downward spiral. Of course, that's exactly what he did, isn't it? In coming to take our sins on top of him, like upon his own head, upon his own shoulders. He takes our sins, he takes the whole cosmos upon his own person so that we could be saved. Okay, let's, going on to, let's go on to the next verse. Illumina nunc pectora, tuoquamore concrema, audita per preconia, sint pulsa tandem lubrica. Illuminate now our hearts and inflame them with your love through heraldings which were heard, let hazardous slippery desires be at last driven out. That's kind of a clunky way of putting it, but let's see what, what's going on in here. In a sense, this verse 
sounds to a certain extent a little bit like what the Holy Spirit does, right? In illuminating, illuminating our hearts. But then all the persons of the, twin, of the Trinity are at work in our salvation. But uh, remember, we're dealing with the Feast of the Incarnation here we're, that we're preparing for. And so uh, keep in mind that in all of his words and in all of his deeds, Christ, as the Second Vatican Council described in, in Gaudium et Space, chapter 22, Christ reveals man more fully to himself. And he did that, of course, through his earthly words and actions. Now that word preconia uh, also reminds us that everything that happened was heralded from the very beginning of our race, from the fall and then through all the time that lapsed, uh, literally lapsed, it's a sliding down image again, until the fullness of time came when Christ was born into the world. So Christ's saving work was heralded, and it's still being heralded to us in so many different ways. I also like that word lubrica to describe our sinful impulses, and it really does kind of mean what it sounds like. We have the English word lubricious, too. These are slippery, dangerous things. Uh, lubricus can mean like slippery or hazardous. And these impulses or sins that we have are slippery. They put us on a slippery slope downward. So this is another time here in the hymn and we have this image of a downward slope. And the first coming of the Lord was meant to save us from that. Uh, within the context of the cursus declivus temporis, right? The downward slope spiral of time. Let's go on to the next verse. Iudexque cum post aderis, rimari facta pectoris, redens vicem pro abditis, justisque renium pro bonis. And after you will have come as judge the deeds of the heart, torn open, bestowing separation for those separated from you, and to the just, the kingdom because of good works, for good works. What's going on here? Well, the Lord is going to come as judge. Remember that. He's going to come whether we want him to or not. And when he does, all things will be laid bare. We have the image of things being like hearts being torn open to reveal the things that are hidden deep within. Nothing will remain hidden in the coming of the Lord. At our death, there's going to be a particular judgment for our eternal fate. We will know then whether we will be rewarded with heaven or punished with hell. But there's going to be a general judgment too when the thoughts and the words and the deeds of and the omissions of everyone who has ever lived are going to be revealed to everybody and placed in the balance, as it were, to show how they relate to each other and with their influences and their effects for good or for ill. Everything will be laid bare. Nothing, even our inmost thoughts, will be hidden. And at that point, all things will be taken by Christ to himself and given to the Father so that God might be all to in all and his reign will be eternal.
And so we are asking here in this hymn for membership in that kingdom with the just, with the happy. Remember this membership was already won for us. I mean, that's the core of what the good news is, right? The evangelium, the thing that's being announced or heralded. The good news is that we are now, because of what Christ did, members of the kingdom. But we must also keep in mind that this membership in the kingdom, while being very real, it is still provisional, isn't it? It will be ours forever, provided that we cling to the king. We can lose that membership in the kingdom, that heavenly citizenship. We can lose it. We can refuse it, reject it. We do so by our own choices. But uh, let's go on to the next verse. Non demum artemur malis. You know, that's, boy, that's one of those uh, heterodyne feet, isn't it? Verses. Non demum artemur malis, pro qualitati criminis, sed cum beatis compotes, simus perenes celites. Let us then not be put in straits by evils on account of the nature of our crimes, but let us be eternal citizens of heaven with blessed companions. Well, this verse, you know, it's interesting that the the 1632 reworking of this makes it far more plain what we're really talking about here. What we're talking about is pretty harrowing. It's actually a plea to be saved from hell and to be brought to heaven. And the operative word here, the really, you know, that we have to think about, I think, is from the verb arto. It's artemur in the passive. Arto means like to bind in, to press down. And so we're talking about being bound up, pressed in, put in straits, like being put in a hellish straitjacket confined, crushed in with evils and with evil people. It's a a frightening implication, a frightening image if we really think about it, considering that that what we're we're talking about would be forever and forever. And uh, I, you know, remember that we're in this hymn, we're singing about time, aren't we? I think it's a main theme of the hymn working through here. God's plan, the fullness of time, the end of time, the coming and eternal reward that will last through time eternal, either in reward or punishment. We are asking that the membership in that heavenly kingdom be extended to us, and that's a place where we will enjoy the company of happy or blessed companions. Instead of being bound up with eternally with evil ones in separation, you know, that, that phrase, there's a phrase in the previous strophe that that takes on a kind of a grim aspect I didn't look at that but let's take a look at it now we'll go back to that other strophe the one we did before in Latin uh, he is going to give us vicem he's going to give us in other words likewise treatment to those who are separated he will give likewise that is he's going to give separation to the separated and in this verse, we talk about what it's going to be like for them. They're going to be 
bound up and we are asking that we at, at the very end that we not be bound up non artemur malis by evil things with evil people with evils you know in the middle ages you know this might have had a little bit more effect in the minds of the singers of the listeners you know for example as i i think about this i have the image of sticks being bound together and carried on people's backs through the cold to be burned in in the hearths or maybe old thatch for roofs that was stacked up for destruction because it's not so gray and and corrupt and not useful anymore but inside the hall which was you know thatched maybe with new thatch or inside where the the burning of those sticks is taking place the logs you have the compotes you have those people compotes you have the people with whom you're drinking together right these are your companions your friends these are the happy ones the beati the blessed in a place where it's where it's it's comfortable and where there's no thirst but let's move on let's move on to the final verse sit Christe rex piissime, tibi patrique gloria, cum santo spirito paraclito, in sempiterna secula. Amen. O Christ, most merciful King, let there be glory to you and to the Father, with the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Consoler, for endless ages. Amen. I think one of the most important words in here is piissime, piissime, pius is a way of describing the dutiful person but when we describe pius to god pius really takes on the quality of mercy and here he's being described as rex piissime a little while ago we were talking about him as judge but he is merciful remember he'll come and judge us whether we ask him to or not but if we want his mercy we must ask for it and being given his mercy then we have the opportunity in heaven to glorify him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever verbum supernum prodiens a patre lumen exiens qui natus orbi subvenis cursu declivi temporis illumina nunc pectora tuoquamore concrema audita per preconia sit pulsa tandem lubrica iudexque cum post aderis rimari facta pectoris Redens vicem pro abditis, justisque renium pro bonis. Non demum artemur malis pro qualitate crepinis, sed cum beatis compotes simus perennes celites. Sit Christe rex piissime tibi patrique gloria, cum spiritu paraclito in sempiterna secula. Amen. Let's hear a little more poetic version of the Verbum Supernum Prodiens. This is by 
W. J. Courthope. It's from an old church hymns book from 1903. Celestial word, to this our earth sent down from God's eternal clime, to save mankind by mortal birth into a world of change and time. Enlighten our hearts, vain hopes destroy, and in thy love's consuming fire fill all the soul with heavenly joy, and melt the dross of low desire. So when the judge of quick and dead shall bid his awful summons come to whelm the guilty soul with dread and call the blessed to their home, saved from the whirling black abyss forevermore to us be given to share the feast of saintly bliss and see the face of God in heaven. To God the Father and the Son our songs with one accord we raise, and to the Holy Spirit one with them be ever equal praise. Amen. That's a very interesting modern version of Verbum Supernum Proteans by a composer named Damien Mochnik. I think that's how it's pronounced, at least. Damien Mochnik. 
But here's a translation into English by Charles Big, made in 1906. High word of God, who once didst come, leaving thy father and thy home, to succor by thy birth our kind, when, towards thy advent, time declined. Pour light upon us from above, and fire our hearts with thy strong love, that as we hear thy gospel read, all fond desires may flee in dread. That when thou comest from the skies, great judge, to open thine assize, to give each hidden sin its smart, and crown as kings the pure in heart. We be not set at thy left hand, where sentence due would bid us stand, but with the saints thy face may see, forever holy, loving thee. Praise to the Father and the Son, through all the ages as they run, and to the holy paraclete, be praise with them and worship meet. Amen. Let's hear another English version, one called O Heavenly Word, Eternal Light. And this is often related to a German hymn, a melody, for a hymn in German, O Heiland, reiß die Himmel auf. And, uh, O Savior, tear the heaven apart. But let's hear the, in this English version. Uh, o heavenly word, eternal light. O heavenly word, eternal light, begotten of the Father's might, who in these latter days wast born for blessing to a world forlorn. Pour light upon us from above and fire our hearts with ardent love that as we hear thy truth today, all wrong desires may burn away. And when as judge thou drawest nigh the secrets of our hearts to try, to recompense each hidden sin, and bid the saints their reign begin, O oh, let us not for evil past be driven from thy face at last, but with thy saints forevermore, behold thee, love thee, and adore. To God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, ever one, praise, honor, might, and glory be, from age to age, eternally.
Now, I mentioned the version that got into the Breviarium Romanum after the reform of the classicizing reform of 1632. I don't think this is quite as successful as the older version. And again, we have our problem of agreement and disagreement of the iambic meter. So we have homodyne and heterodyne verses and so forth. But let's dig into that other version of Verbum Supernum Proteus. And I don't mean by that the one that is sung, the Eucharistic version. Let's stick to the Advent version. And uh, hear what it sounds in Latin with uh, a translation between our Latin verses. Verbum supernum prodiens, e patris eternisinu, qui natus orbi subvenis, labente cursu temporis. Little differences there, huh? There are differences. Maybe we should just go back for just a second and, and listen to the other version of that. Verbum supernum prodiens, a patre lumen exiens, qui natus orbi subvenis, cursu declivi temporis. So we had verbum supernum prodiens, e patris eternis sinu, qui natus orbi subvenis, labente cursu temporis. Heavenly word proceeding from the eternal Father's bosom. By your birth you came to man's help when time's course was drawing to its close. Illumina nunc pectora, tuo comore concrema, ut cor caduca deserens, celi voluptas impleat. Shine your light into our hearts now and inflame them with your love, so that heavenly desire and joy may take possession of a heart emptied of earth's fleeting desires. Ut cum tribunal judicis damnabit inji noxios, et vox amica debitum vocabit ad celum pios. And thus when the judge on his throne sentences sinners to hell, and a welcoming voice calls the saints to the heaven promised them, Non esca flammarum nigros, volvamur inter turbines, vultudeis ed compotes, celi fruamur gaudiis. May it be that we are not cast into the black whirlpools as food for the flames, but that we be granted the vision of God and possess the joys of heaven. Patri simulque filio, tibique sancti spiritus, sicut fuit, sic jugiter, seculum per omne gloria. To the Father and the Son, together and to you, Holy Spirit, May glory continue to be for all ages as it has been. Amen. Now, if you open your handy copy of the Liber Hymnarius that was prepared by the monks, Benedictines at Solem, a place so important for the renewal of Gregorian chant and liturgical movement, uh, the Liber Hymnarius, which is used for the modern office, the Liturgia Orarum, you'll find, of course, in the section of Hymns for Advent, 
the section up to the 16th of December, when everything changes, you'll find for the Office of Readings, Ad Officium Lectionis, a Gregorian chant notation for this hymn, the Verbum Supernum Prodians. Let's hear a little bit of it. You know, there aren't really very many recordings of this, so I'm going to inflict my singing on you for a moment. Please be a little patient. But I want you to hear what it sounds like. Verbum supernum prodiens, a patre lumen exiens, qui natus orbis venis, cursu declivi temporis. Illumina nunc pectora, tuo camore concrema. Audita per preconia, sint pulsa tandem lubrica. Iudex que compost aderis, rimari facta pectoris, redens vicem pro abditis, justisque regnum pro bonis. Non de mumartemur malis, pro qualitate criminis, sed cum beatis compotis, simus perenes celites. Sit Christi Rex Pisime, Tibi Patrique Gloria, Cum Spiritu Paraclito, In Sempiterna Secula. Amen. Our Liber Hymnarius also says that this hymn can be sung also with the tone of the hymn Vox Clara, which is used for lauds, for morning praises. And uh, just to hear what that melody sounds like, well, I'm going to be doing a podcast on the Vox Clara also. But just to hear what it sounds like, here's what Vox Clara sounds like. Vox clara ece intonat, obscura queque increpat, procul fulgentur somnia, abetre Christus promicat. So that would be something like, Verbum supernum prodiens, a patre lumen exiens, Quinatus orbis subvenis, cursu declivi temporis.
So today we've really drilled into this hymn for matins, for the office of readings in the Liturgy Orarum. Holy Church has beautiful, beautiful treasures of prayers, and every single one of them belongs to every single one of us. And to benefit us all more fully, we have to know what they really say. And that's why we are doing this, friends. That's why I'm doing what I do with a blog and with these podcasts. What I'm trying to do is help show you what is in that treasury which has been locked up for so long. And then I hope to put these keys and all the delights that go with them into your hands. So until next time in this next audio project, please say a prayer for me as I will for you.